0: Welcome to this week's Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan. Say hi, Joe. Hi. Well, another week has come and gone. Another week of our dear president slowly losing his mind and maybe inching towards losing an election. Joe, you and I were just talking before we press record about this interview he gave Michael Bender at the Wall Street Journal. It feels... Particularly unhinged. Is that right?
1: I would say uh, it's as if the more um, things, the crazier things get, the more unhinged he becomes. And his inability to control the narrative has reached new lows. I wanted to say new highs, but it's the highs of the lows. He's reached peak low.
0: I mean, you say that, and I feel like Every week for the last five years, we've said that Trump reach, reaches peak low. I guess the reality is, is there is no bottom or there has not yet been a bottom. I, would, I just think that over the last four months, as coronavirus has taken hold, as the economy has fallen into the depths of a recession, as the nation reckons with a, a very difficult and very important conversation about race and about the police system and about the the justice system in this country. Uh the the conversation around the president has turned, not just among people who have been raising the alarms about the president over the last three and a half years, but amongst people who who once did support him, amongst Republicans in the Senate and the House. It just feels like a different moment.
1: I I agree with you about that. I, I... I have been, you know, reluctant to get too excited about it, but I do feel like we've turned a corner. Um, and weirdly, I feel like the influence of Barack Obama, which has always been, like, far in the background during these Trump years as Trump has made efforts to undo his works. Mm. Uh, you see this latest Supreme Court um, decision uh, to preserve um DACA. And there was an incredible, really fascinating observation by uh, Ronald Brownstein, um, the uh, political analyst for The Atlantic and CNN, who was pointing out that uh, Norman Mailer back in the early 60s predicted that JFK would sort of energize and ignite the scattered sentiments of social discontent that were gathering in the late 50s. And he's saying maybe history will say that Obama had done the same thing. That mm. in fact, all the things that we thought Trump had undone were just re, um, you know, r- reforming, and now they're coming back, and they're not going to go away. I mean, the next generation is basically declaring it so, and now whether they translate that into votes this fall, uh, we don't know. But certainly, Trump has weakened himself in ways that. You know, how many days are we out from the election? One hundred and thirty something. In my mind, I am thinking, what, what, what could happen? The, the worst thing that could happen is people forget, right. right? That they that the news cycle, as we've known it over the last four years, uh, begins to you know drain the energy out or the the outrage, and and Trump somehow figures a way to refashion himself. But so the question is whether or not he can do that. But as you uh, are going to. Uh, take us into this interview today uh, with a Trump associate uh, who can take us into the mind of Trump. Uh, We wonder whether or not his mind is going to be able to think strategically, come up with coherent narratives like he has in the past that are based on his gut or whatever else to reinvent himself uh, in time for November. And So that's the question we revolve around today.
0: That is exactly what I go into in this interview. I spoke uh, with Sam Nunberg, who is a former Trump campaign official, a former Donald Trump advisor, and uh, now someone who is just very plugged in, in all things Trump. Uh, and and we just go right into Donald Trump's head, right into Donald Trump's campaign, what he has done wrong, the electoral map that Nunberg says just is not in his favor, and It's a fascinating conversation. Now, Sam's one of these people who became well-known for his association with Donald Trump and is someone who many, many reporters um, pick his brain because he just has a deep understanding of who our president is as a person, as a campaigner, as a president, and is just really plugged in. So if, if you'll indulge us in, in, in about an hour of an interview with, with Sam Memberg about what he thinks will happen over the next five months about some of the decisions the president has botched over the last few weeks. It's a really fascinating look at, at what's to come. So let's get right to it. I am very excited today to be here with the man, the myth, the legend Sam Number, a former advisor to President Donald Trump when he was just Donald Trump. He was also an advisor on the Trump presidential campaign. He is now a consultant and a favorite touchstone of every political reporter under the sun. Sam, welcome.
2: Very excited. Thank you very much for having me.
0: It's a big day. We have a lot of things I want to ask you about, a lot of people I want to ask you about, a lot of news stories I want to ask you about, but I I feel like I want to start with you talking about John Bolton's book because it is clearly on our president's mind this morning. It's on every news show. So what do you make of the book, the allegations in it, and our president's reactions to it?
2: Well, well, first of all, I believe everything in the book is accurate. Why? Uh, For two reasons. The first is... Uh, John Bolton is known as a vociferous uh, Mm. Uh, note-taker. I was in law school. I hosted him for the Federalist Society. And I asked him how he had such a quick turnaround on his book after he left the Bush administration. And he told me about all the notes that he takes. And his assistant told me the same thing. I've sat with him a couple times. And one of the things I always thought when he joined The Trump White House. I was in favor of him joining. Uh, Disclaimer I agree with him, particularly on Iran. Mm. Um, But I thought that here is someone who hopefully will enjoy getting a lot done that is on his agenda. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: However, I didn't know the way he would feel about seeing Donald Trump up close. And that's always an issue. Um, You know, a lot of people agree with Donald Trump. And I agree with him and I agree with his White House and his administration, on a lot of issues. But behind the scenes, he is not a very flattering person to people like John Bolton, Uh, you know, learned people that take policy extremely seriously, that believe in these issues. And Donald Trump is not somebody who is going to want to know what he doesn't believe he needs to know he also is somebody who wants to operate under the ethos that he is smarter and just has this natural God-given ability to bet, to do anything better than anybody around him. And then particularly there's another issue. John Bolton probably had more influence on Donald Trump when Sheldon Adelson wanted Bolton hired during those first couple of years mm-hmm. of the presidency. John Bolton was frequently appearing on Fox. It's, was always a joke between Roger Stone and me. You have more influence from the outside on Donald than as opposed when you work on him. Sure. Everything that I have read from the public, I don't have the book. It sounds like Donald Trump to me. Now, here's a larger issue, Emily. Do, did he say this to President G? You got to help me with my reelection? Yes, he did. Mm. However, are you going to judge Trump administration actions versus Donald Trump himself? And if we have to go and give a comparative to Joe Biden, who we should, we can get into was had a failed um, record when he was given that portfolio by President Obama. So there's so there's yeah. my take on it.
0: So I, I don't know that you gave the answer to what what he said to you when when you said how did you write that book so quickly? What was his answer? Because he had taken Bolton notes. Book
2: book. And and Bolton said uh, to me that um, he takes uh, he, you know it's very easy. He takes very. Uh, good contemporaneous notes. He told me, you know, when I was in, in law school, budding a very active in the federal society, but I wasn't in a very prestigious law school. He said, the best thing you can do as well. And this was in regards to the notes was always remember details, Sam, always remember uh, details. And, um, that was one of the reasons why in light of the Bush book, which, you know, he, he had a lot of enemies for that Bush Mm. book, uh, didn't like Bolton at the end, but uh, you know Bolton. Uh, I agreed with the Bush book. He criticized Condoleezza Rice and Bush for their handling of Israel, uh, the Israel Lebanon Hezbollah war in uh, two thousand and seven at uh, the UN. So um, the short answer is um, that also sounds a lot to me yeah. like Donald Trump. Yeah, and Don- John Bolton also Emily is in a position where he has nothing to lose anymore. He sure. wasn't going to get re-signed by Fox at $400,000 a year after he left the Trump administration. Wasn't going to happen. Uh, he gets his book deal, and this book deal pays for 20 years of um, the Fox News contract, and he wants to uh, write history. I've also heard from people that talked to him, that were friendly with him, that helped him get the job, that when he left the administration— he was particularly worried about uh, the president leaving NATO, things like that. So, I mean, this is stuff that contemporaneously makes a lot of sense when you um, hear, and, and, you know, you say, I talk to political reporters. Well, look, I I don't pretend to be have a good relationship with Donald. Donald. I don't pretend that Donald likes me, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm very well respected by a lot of people in the administration. I talk to a lot of them, and these are events that um, – I was familiar with some of them from what I've read. So you're not
0: surprised by the content of it, and I i have not gotten a copy of the book yet.
2: Sorry, but let's be clear. I don't have the book either. I'm yeah. basing it on everything I've read in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and uh, Wall Street
0: Journal. So all the fake news sources is what you're saying. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Very fake
0: news. Well, I, so I haven't read the book. The accounts that I have read from those outlets uh, feel to me to be more confirming than revelatory, which is— Important in and of itself. These are things that uh, we should note for for our sitting president to have done or, or allegedly done or said to people um, who were fastidious note takers, as you have said. What I keep thinking about this morning and as I as I saw the interview with Sean Hannity last night and I just read an interview he did with the Wall Street Journal about um, many things, but he talked about Bolton's book and I was looking at the president's Twitter feed this morning He has this power, this this pattern of um, tweeting about anyone who writes a book about him or or anyone who's worked in his White House or the Trump organization who says anything negatively about him publicly. And that person is always a dummy, an idiot, a liar, a, a coffee boy, someone who knows nothing. And it begs the question of, of why is he hiring all these dummy, low-life-lying coffee boys to work in his administration or his company? And, and if they're all so stupid, why were they hired in the first place?
2: You know, uh, somebody, um, a mutual friend of mine who knows Donald very well, who uh, works in the Yankee organization, we were talking once about how Donald and George Steinbrenner are extremely similar. Mm was talking about how Trump had frequently uh, rehired me and he was telling uh, me that he had visited Trump in the White House and mentioned me and Trump, you know, looked down, but said, well, Sam's very smart and talented. And um, uh, nothing ever ends well with him, with uh, these relationships, um, you know, and it depends on the character of the person. So, for instance, let's go into this. Let's talk. Uh I work for Donald Trump from 2011 to mid-2015. I am literally the first campaign hire. Mm -hmm. I'm forced now within six weeks. I am then fired. He tells me that he's going to keep it quiet. I immediately start getting phone calls from uh, reporters that um, Corey Lewandowski uh, was calling. Mm. And he called me a low-level part-time consultant. I wrote the script. Uh, for him that he used long after I was supporting Ted Cruz that helped him get the nomination. Mm. And it's just this idea that um, once things are over, you know, it has to be that he won and you couldn't, um, and you couldn't, uh, you know, work under, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't fit the bill for him. Yeah. And he likes to end things terribly. And I, I think part of it is his narcissism. Part of it is the fact that um, this is his business uh, profile that he's created. He's the one who fires people. right? And part of it is, and let me give you a good example. You know, when I worked for him, I never signed an NDA up until I started working uh, as the first hire. I remember Rona Graff bringing it down to me on the 24th floor for mm. 26. I didn't even look at it and hire. And uh, I didn't even look at it. I just signed it. Which is crazy because you're a I, lawyer. I, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but in hindsight, I never done anything to Donald. Yeah. In hindsight... When I said, you know, I realized the reason he wanted me to sign now was because he always envisions, he's been through this before, and he always envisions that at the end of the day, he's going to fire you, treat you like dirt, or things will always end badly. And they don't have to end badly. Mm. That's what he likes to do. And, you know, he suffers the consequences. We can get into, we can get into me, but I will tell you, in a nutshell, I cost him over $35 million when, because he fired me. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. And he learned his lesson. And I'll tell you something else. Had he not fired me, had Roger Stone not quit, guess what, Donald, you asshole? You would have had the nomination done after you had won Florida. Mm. Instead, you wanted to listen to Chris Christie. You wanted uh, to have Corey Lewandowski and um, your uh, uh, Hope Hicks take dictation. And you had to spend an extra $40 million of a lot of cash you don't have on uh, to get that nomination. That thing should have been closed and wound up uh, pretty quickly.
0: Well, what's what's crazy to me is that that you did cost him all this money and yet you have not been excommunicated from people who serve him who work for him and even from the president himself when's the last time you talked to him
2: it was the day uh he called me the day that he kicked out pelosi from the white house because she said cover up Mm. i believe that's last year Mm. that's That time last uh last year and before that i had not spoken to him since uh mid 2017 i didn't talk to him all of 2016 wow uh you know i do want to we can go into you know i do have some scores to settle i'll tell this to the audience yeah please to my getting fired but um i you know i think that
0: Wait, were you surprised to see his number when you when when he called you I'm sorry. What? Were you surprised to see him calling you? You pick up. You see your phone. You see a number. You see it's it's Trump. Was that surprising to you?
2: Yes and no. Um, I know that he thinks that. I, I I mean, look. I know my limitations, unlike other people, and I'm very smart and I'm very good at this. And frankly, it's his loss and the Republican Party's loss that I'm not working um, in this field anymore. And uh, and that in that I know what I, I know what I can do. and What I can't do. And he called me, uh, and we and we discussed uh, Biden, and we discussed what was going on generally, and um, I, you know. And I told him I believe that uh, I believe that he was going to get impeached. I think this was before, this would have been before the impeachment, correct? Mm, yeah. And I, said, you know, you're, go- you're going to get impeached. She is not your friend. You are going to get impeached. Mm. Um, I remember saying that to him. And what did he say? On the one, on the one hand, in the beginning, I was. You know, it was nice to hear from him. But then I'll tell you one thing. The the conversation sort of ended when I said, you know what I'm happy to see, Mr. President? He said, what? I'm happy to see you are hiring all these people for your campaign. You know, you paid me nothing when I worked for you. Mm. That may be my fault, but I'm happy to see you actually can treat people well because I didn't know that. Mm. And I'm happy that all these people working for you are the people that we were fighting against um, for you, for your nomination, people that didn't want to take you seriously, Mm. you know. And that's really where the conversation ended. and I didn't suspect that I was going to hear from him again unless I called the White House. Right. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, you know, my position on Donald is, I first of all, I wholeheartedly support President Trump being reelected elections to me as somebody that knows his business. We can argue about this. They're about three. You know what? They're ultimately about 3000 uh, appointments in the executive branch. And judicial appointments right and who do you work, and who would you rather have people working there and that's just the fact and that's why you need to come home whoever wins the nomination
0: well the president but, this morning tweeted about how if you don't re-elect him or you need to reelect him because there are supreme court seats up for grabs and the second amendment is paramount and if you don't re-elect him then you're gonna get your guns taken away from
2: yeah and he'll, and he'll get i don't know if that expands he's got a different problem with this election that'll but that'll help him get back to that forty-six and a half percent mm. uh, he got in twenty sixteen. But he can't win on forty-six and a half percent.
0: I want to talk. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about saying, with you later. Continue.
2: And so I want to be very clear. I have no sour grapes about not working in the White House. I have no sour grapes about not working on this cycle. In the natural order of things, I wouldn't. But I'll tell you one thing, Donald. You, you know, I'm never getting twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen back. And I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I know when I'm responsible for things and I deserve to be treated better than I was. And, um, and I'll be dealing with people. Look, they're not, look, people that I can't really deal with to get back at them right now, Donald's not going to be around forever. And frankly, it looks like he's not going to be around next year in the Oval Office, right? At least right now. So, um, so, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not forgetting about that either, but, um, but correct going, as you were saying about that tweet. Look, um, the Supreme Court is up for grabs because not only is it Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but Clarence Thomas is also the second oldest, I believe, late 70s. So the same way people, Democrats and my friends on the the, uh, left, pray every day for her health. We're going to be praying every day for um, Clarence Thomas's health should Biden get elected.
0: Can we talk about the math as you were just bringing up? You you seem to be... uh, Pessimistic about the president's chance for re-election or I mean, maybe it's realistic. What do you see happening in the next five months? Where do you think the, the swing states play out? What are you, What's your read of the polls as they start to come in five months out from this election?
2: Um, well, we can go over the map, but let's talk about uh, the president. Okay. He's done absolutely nothing to expand his base. Um, a couple of polls that I trust. When I worked during the midterms, what we saw was at the height of uh, the president's approval rating in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, one of the best public polls, I think he hit around 48%. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Now, there are no serious third-party candidates. The other side has done an extremely good job for a couple reasons, some of it naturally because Bernie Sanders has nowhere to go and needs a legacy this time. They get along with Biden much better but there aren't going to be any real third-party candidates um, in the Libertarian, and I don't even know who the nominee is, and and I don't believe um, the fourth party, as you call them, or other party candidates such as Jill Stein are going to be a factor. Um, So you have to look at Donald. He's not going to win the popular vote. That's gone. Mm. And frankly, people in the White House would tell me that doesn't matter because he can get the Electoral College. But the reality is if he doesn't hit 48.5% Forty eight and a half percent is the best case, I would say, nationally. He ain't gonna win. And what I think is here's what's here's what works for Donald. The first thing is that in Florida, in Ohio, in Iowa, and in Wisconsin, he typically pulls higher than his national average. Mm. And he does from his so his na- so his national fave on favor, his national uh his national number against Biden—it's always higher in those states. So he has room to grow. On the other hand, he's losing votes, and he has done nothing to regain some of the votes that he's having a trouble losing, particularly um, particularly college-educated women yep. that voted Republican, um, the so-called suburban exurban mom. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
2: I think that that's a major problem for him. And I think seniors could be a problem. Somebody extremely smart to me said something last night. I'm not going to take credit for this. I didn't think of this. Look, they lose seniors. They're done. Yeah. Right. Okay. Republicans are done. They lose seniors. Somebody said to me, you know, the seniors are, are the seniors are the ones most frightened about COVID. Of course. And, and if you're going, okay, we, we agree. But if you're going out and rallying and doing campaigns and- you know, even if people are wearing masks, seniors aren't going to like that.
0: No, and and you're having you're having these rallies where you're you're bringing tens of thousands of people into an indoor arena where masks are not required, as the press secretary said uh, in a press conference this week. That is a recipe for disaster. You have the Tulsa officials begging residents not to go to this thing. But the the only flip side to the argument you just made, and I think about it all the time, is that seniors are the group that is obviously most concerned about coronavirus and, and less likely to support the president because of that. But they're also, if they're going to be concerned about coronavirus, maybe they're less likely to vote in this election because they're scared to go to a polling place and there's no real system for voting by mail yet in the united states so i think yes he could turn seniors off but the real question is are fewer seniors going to be able to vote period in this election
2: the dirty little secret is the more people vote the more likely republicans lose of course that's a fact. of course now if seniors aren't coming out to vote that's a win for biden in any event anyway mm. because that's a that's a demo that the Republicans strongly rely on, and Donald and Donald has a uh, can usually get them out. Um, but so I, going back to the map, so he got 306 electoral votes. I mean, they all didn't vote for him, fine. But he got 306 electoral votes. I, Michigan is gone. Michigan is to gone. to the
0: Democrats. It's out,
2: it's gone. Yeah. Uh, they are not going to be able to advance the map and uh, to grow out their map. So let's let's be honest. Nevada, right? Not happening,
3: mm-hmm.
2: New Hampshire, not going to happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just not, and I think partly because Biden, northeastern Canada, stronger connection, um, and New Hampshire voters are are split ticket voters, and they may like their governor, but there's something you know Donald will do better in that state than his national average. But I don't see it. Remember, he won Maine one last time. Mm-hmm. That's an electoral vote. Mm-hmm. I don't winning that this time.
3: Mm.
2: Now his path to two seventy, I don't give him Pennsylvania either, even with Biden being against fracking and being against the Second Amendment and also with Catholics. I don't think Trump can win that. But he still with on paper has a path to two seventy. And the path would be he wins the South minus Virginia. Wins the South uh you know, but but you include technically it's in the Southwest, but you would include um, Arizona. I believe he will win at North Carolina and you give him, so you're giving him Florida. He wins Ohio. He wins Iowa and he pulls out Wisconsin. Wisconsin is more like Ohio and Iowa than it is like Michigan. Mm. And I, there you could see that look at Scott Walker. Yeah. barely Lost in a way democrat year barely lost his his fourth term his fourth statewide election so you could see that path but that path is narrow now go to arizona if i'm trump i'm very worried about arizona let's remember about 2016 a couple things first Mm -hmm. of all donald won florida iowa arizona um wisconsin those are states that he won where the Republican Senate candidates got more votes than him, mm-hmm. got more votes than him. The state, the only state where he won, where a Republican Senate candidate won, was Pennsylvania. That he got more votes than than to me, and he had a lot of factors helping him. Plus the fact that uh, you had, you know, the coes, while they weren't going to support Trump they were going to support the Senate and they spent a lot of money and that money helps uptick it no matter what because I, because a, a statewide Senate race is equivalent to the presidential. Right. Uh, I don't see, you know, the money is controlled now by the RNC and the Trump campaign. NRSC and the NRCC aren't raising the amounts that I think they would like to raise, projected or claiming that they were going to raise, particularly the NRCC. Yep. And... Those 40 districts that went in 2008 that flipped for uh, Trump from, uh, you know, from Republicans to Democrats, I don't see, you'd have to look deep down, and I haven't yet, and I haven't seen the candidates, but I mean, a lot of those came from New Jersey, a lot of those came from California, I don't, I don't see us winning those back, so it's, it's really, it's really up the battle.
3: This is Inside the Hive.
0: Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. The campaign has not released its May fundraising numbers yet, and I'm very curious to see what has happened over that period of time particularly because i feel like i know i know that that people in the media say this all the time but i really mean this when i say it this feels like the most chaotic time of his 3 years In office to me this this past stretch of of months and particularly i think it's probably because the stakes are just so high right now with the Mueller investigation the integrity of elections was at stake and that's obviously incredibly important but we're in the midst of a life-threatening global pandemic an economic meltdown that could have ramifications for years and years and years and years to come uh we are in a pivotal moment when it comes to race in this country. And our president has just floundered in in leadership over the last few months. I don't think that the vast majority of even his supporters feel like this has been a very good stretch for our president. And coupled with what you were just saying about the fact that he hasn't done anything to expand his base over the last three and a half years, it seems to me like Maybe he doesn't want to win again. He's, he's had a long stretch of time to appeal to a broader swath of voters across the country. He's had a very pivotal moment where he could have risen. He could have spoken to the nation that was so desperate for leadership over the past few months. And in both of those instances, he just hasn't done what he needed to do in order to really set himself up for re-election in November. And I just have to think, maybe he doesn't want the gig anymore.
2: It's an interesting question. You know, and there are a lot of people uh, that are saying that behind the scenes, particularly uh, Republican senators in competitive races, races that shouldn't be uh, competitive either. I don't believe Donald Trump will ever want to lose an election. I certainly don't think Donald Trump necessarily enjoys the presidency, enjoys the job. I had always said that Donald Trump will love getting elected president. I don't know if he'd like being president. Mm. For him, it wasn't something that he wanted to discuss. I'm I'm quoted to uh, in the New York Times about this. Uh, He would go over the minutia of anything related to the campaign, related to uh, delegates, related to primary and caucus schedules, related to updates on the convention rules. But, you know, he wasn't into the policy briefings. He was into the campaign from a marketing point of view, or he wasn't into, you know, at least when I worked there, we was very early on, but the idea that, you know, you were going to get him to talk about, you know, um, even saying something along the lines of, when I take the oath, I will, you know, lines like that weren't going to work. Uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't approve those. He was, um, and it is what it is. But you know what? It worked for him. There was a great uh, a great story. Something I learned from Donald when I worked for him was I remember sitting with him and I was – I think the issue was something along the lines. Uh, we were talking about a Second Amendment issue. And I maybe did give him a word salad or I wasn't quite that clear about it. And But I remember saying to him something along – I remember saying, well, you got you know, thinking you got to know this. And he goes, you know – he said to me, you know, Sam, you tell me things in a way – that I can't even repeat it. How the hell am I supposed to communicate it and sell it?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: it actually helped me. It was a great lesson in life. Um, you know, he changed the dynamic of that last race. That last race, if you wanted to go wonky, the Republican primary, you weren't voting for us. But that was fine. And you know what? He was right, and I was wrong. I didn't. We didn't have to really, at the end of the day, worry so much about what he didn't know because he was able to dominate. Uh, he was able to dominate, and all he had to say was where he genuinely stood on the issues. Um, heading now, one thing I'd always thought, Emily, was, and I said this, you know, even the first year. I may even mention it to you. I said I could always see him wanting to win the second term, winning the second term, but maybe leaving after six years. Mm.
0: That's
2: what I could say. Why? Right?
0: Oh, so, so that he would get the win, but not have to serve right. out the whole term. Is that Right. Right, he's not
2: a lame duck. Right. He's not sitting around, uh, you know, he's he's out to go live his life again. That's interesting. He's leaving it is leaving it from V P. Mike Pence as president. He can give a rationale where he says, you know, past presidents have not been able to serve the American people while well. everybody looks and they don't want to get things done, Congress. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a first term president right now. Judge Mike, re elect Mike, something along those lines. I'd always thought that that was a a possibility. Um, I'm sure he likes sitting in the White House. I'm sure there are things like that that he enjoys. But um, uh, there are other days where I'm sure he wishes he was at uh, Trump Tower and then going in his plane down to Mar Lago. Sure, right? sure. I mean, just like he had a life. He was an emperor. Yeah. In his past life. Yeah.
0: That's, I mean, Michael Cohen always says that if Trump loses, he's he's worried that he won't leave that he won't peacefully hand over the White House. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's something that, that you also feel. But it's very hard for me to think of him staying in a race if he thinks he's going to lose. I just can't see him continuing to go on with a campaign that, that feels doomed this time around. I know that everyone was sort of feeling that the first go around. It just, I, I just can't imagine him putting himself in that situation.
2: I think I think something that um he believes and he could be right and I think it is gonna help him. Look, Joe Biden's able to run as a generic Democrat right now. Um I do give Joe Biden a lot of credit for placing that phone call to Don to Donald, to the president. I if I had worked for the president, I would have begged him not to take it, not to say he still wouldn't. Mm. Joe Biden bought himself time, was able to raise a lot of money and now has a national TV uh campaign yep. and uh he's ready to go and he's ready to run a presidential campaign with the trump campaign committed political malpractice because they didn't take advantage even during even during COVID, even during the daily press conferences there was no reason why they didn't spend 60 75 million dollars of their own money on tv Mm. daily just hitting by just trying to set the parameters set what the agenda is for the for this uh, presidential race, I'll never understand it. I understand digital is valuable, but you know when I read that they're that Brad and Jared like to talk to Carl Rove, that scares me. Carl Rove is stale. Carl Rove, Carl Rove, we're not going to win with the Carl Roves and the uh, Stuart Stevens, the Michael, uh, the Steve Schmitz, the Lincoln Project. Those people. Those people. Not Carl, obviously he won, Bush won re-election, but. One of the reasons Donald was able to win, and one of the reasons we didn't—we looked outside the box. One of the reasons I was able to get a senior job with having a a resume that you know it was pretty light was because we saw—I saw the way the game was played in 2008 and 2012. I saw Steve Schmidt. I saw Nicole Wallace. I saw Stuart Stevens. These were supposedly the big geniuses, and you know what they like to do as Republicans—they like they'd rather lose respectfully than win, uh, win a dirty, disgusting campaign. And I hate to break it to you, the other side doesn't. We were no longer the Lee Atwaters, right? Our people sucked. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I look at that Lincoln project, it's funny. Steve Schmidt wanted to be hired by Trump. John Weaver called me, was interested in being hired by Trump before Kasich uh, called him. Um, you know, Stuart Stevens, Stewart hated Donald. Didn't want Donald part of the Romney campaign, even though, and this is a fact, Romney, uh, excuse me, Donald helped Mitt beat Rick Santorum. Don't believe me, believe Ann Romney in 2012 when she thanks Donald in uh, Ohio and in Wisconsin. How things have changed. So, so the point is, is that these are, these are pissed off people that are losers. And they don't like the fact that we, were, that we, and I say we, even though I wasn't part of it at the end, I mean, I did a lot for it. We were able to change the way the game was, and we didn't play by their by their rules.
0: But those and Lincoln was- Project ads are killer now, don't you think?
2: They're fine. I mean, they're, they're fine. But once again, here's, here's the real problem. Where is the Trump campaign spending this goddamn money? I don't care about fucking—can I say fucking or no? Say it. I don't care about fucking Facebook ads. I don't care about going on the website and doing the Trump survey— why, when I turn on the TV, do I not see Trump ads, even from New York City? Why are they not on the cable station?
0: Well, why are they what getting are it are wrong?
2: They're they are on. I don't get it. You know, the the and once again, you don't talk to Karl Rove. The model is, and David Axelrod figured this because we lifted a lot of stuff from Barack Obama, two thousand eight. The model is, you want to follow the Axelrod David Plouffe model from twenty twelve. What did they do? They beat Romney to a pope when Romney didn't have the money, right? Instead, Trump is taking calls from Joe Biden like he's his friend, saying, saying, I don't want to leak out the call. We had agreed. I mean, well played by Joe. That was very well played by Joe. But once again, things will change. I want this audience to understand something. Whether you like Donald or not, whether you're going to vote for Donald you think he needs to lose, you don't have a great candidate on your side. And mm. with everything going on here, even with this, um, even with you know the public consensus that Trump has not done a good job on COVID, the public consensus that the economy is and we are is in is, is in a recession. Mm-hmm. Not as if Joe Biden's above fifty percent national favor, favorability; he is a generic Democrat now. Donald Trump will win those debates against Joe Biden. He will. He, now the media may not say it, but he will, and he'll be saying what everybody else is thinking. And even with Anita Dunn, who I think did a masterful job with Biden, particularly in 2012, mm-hmm. I think she's one of the smartest people in the business. Totally agree. Very, un- uh, You know, um, even with her coaching Joe, I remember her giving an interview to David Plouffe uh, on his podcast. I hate to uh, talk about a competitors. Please, but, it's you a know, great podcast. Um, saying that we anticipate that Biden will do better in one-on-one debates. And he did very well against Bernie. Even then- I think Trump will, um, will do well. And if I was working for Donald, my worry would be beat Joe, beat him in the debate, but don't look like you're killing an old man.
3: Mm, like
0: he like, did yeah. with, with Hillary on stage?
2: Don't, like, fully. Like, like don't, make it, don't make it seem as if people want to say, okay, stop, stop it. That, that would be my, my worry on it. Um, but I think that one of the reasons Trump was elected was an Obama-Biden record. And Biden had a lot to do with that record. And where I will defend Donald 100% is his foreign policy. I think it's been in the most ways a success. And I know a lot of people don't agree with that. That's fine. But I'll tell you, I like where Iran is today, as opposed to where they were in 2017 before he took the oath of office. Mm. I like where China is today nationally, as opposed to where they were when he took the oath of office, they were ready to take over and be the world superpower, particularly in GDP. That's not happening now. But Sam, most now,
0: people are not going to the poll in November in the middle of a pandemic and an economic recession and voting on foreign policy. You you are true. you're a different breed because you're an ideologue who has a set of principles uh, and you're you're not hurting right now. You're, you're God willing, you're healthy and you're in an economic situation that is okay. But most people across this country don't have the luxury of sitting sitting here and saying, ideologically, I agree with you on foreign policy. So that's where I'm going to cast my vote. Well,
2: that's true too. Trump's got to make the argument. Did you like the economy under me or this, you know, force the majeure? Did you? Or do you like Joe Biden? Do you like the way Joe Biden and his VP... If, you know, I'm somebody who I told you, I thought Elizabeth Warren was going to be a very strong nominee. Totally. I thought summer of uh, 2019, she was talking about in a way, even if Trump had a very good economy, she would be able to beat it. And then she decided to release that healthcare program, uh, that healthcare policy, which was the end of her campaign. I remember when you got, told
0: me that, that she was one of the scariest threats to Trump world.
2: She was, because... She is talking to um, she's talking to younger people who are the ninja generation, right? No income, no assets. We're, de- we're debtors, our generation. Uh, generations uh, X, Y, and Z. I don't know, Emily, if I'm still one of those yet. I'm going to be 39.
0: You're a millennial. You are squarely a millennial.
2: But, you know, we, we graduate. We have a ton of debt. Mm-hmm. If we live in major cities, it's not like our parents. We can't really save. We're paying higher astronomical rents. Right. But we're never buying a apartment. And, and we have uh, to pay off our bills. And I think that the school, you know, that was a very smart take. And that was something, economic populism, that I think, let's talk. You know, we could. everybody wants to talk about 2020, and we need to. It's the election. But it's going to be really interesting 2024, too. Um, either way, whoever has, whoever wins, whether it's Biden or Trump, and it's likely, it's likely Biden, at least right now, man, that is a terrible situation to inherit. And going back to your other question about does Trump really want to win, maybe one of the reasons he's not looking forward to a second term is a second term in 2021, being president in 2021, I would argue is going to be worse than Barack Obama in 2009 cuz we cuz this cuz this coronavirus i work in this industry now it's not going anywhere yeah it's it's this, unfortunately now americans we deal with it differently but i do but i'm working in foreign markets and when you have top down governments that own the hospitals and everything things are just going to be shut down yeah they're just going to be shut down and this thing is not going to stop and that, And it's also right. And it's also very sad, too, because what do we do about kids that aren't going to school? Right. Totally. Trying to remote.
0: The repercussions are sweeping. They're huge and they're sweeping. (sighs) If we think about the campaign for for one more beat and then I want to move on to other things. But do you think he should fire Brad? Do you think he should inch Jared over off the campaign? What should he do in the next five months to get things going? And, and increase his chances?
2: Uh, look, it, um, the short answer is I don't think Jared or Brad should be fired. I don't think they... Um, uh, fr- disclaimer from a selfish point of view, I like Jared being in power because my enemies aren't in power, the people I despise. Name your enemies. Uh, uh, Lewandowski. Uh, you know, Lewandowski will never have a real role um, with Jared and Brad there. Um, but the real reason is Bill Stepion was always going to be the campaign manager, and I told you this. You can, you know, you can disclose this if I told you it off the record, whatever. The only reason Stepion wasn't, you know, named co-campaign manager or senior senior advisor was because he was in the White House mm-hmm. at the time they named Brad. And he's very talented, very smart. I have a lot of respect for him. Never spoke to him once in my life, by the way, but I think that from what I hear that's not the issue. The issue ultimately is uh, the president is his own strategist and he is not going to change and he's going to go out the way he wants to go out. If he doesn't want to adapt, he will die. Mm. If you, you know, it's a stone Roll, a Roger Stone Roll. If you fight the last war, you lose. Mm. Um, and that's really where they lost, frankly, going back to, um, I mean, we watched, we watched one of the most horrific things I've seen um, in George Floyd's murder. I, that was a modern day lynching. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, that was. A, you're watching cops standing there, people asking the cops to stop, and they murder someone, and they murdered someone over a non-violent crime. Mm-hmm. What did he do? Balance check,
0: yeah.
2: And they, you know, I think Trump addressed it this week better. I'm very glad Jason Miller has rejoined the campaign. He's a he's an extremely smart strategist, communication person, um, but. Uh, I think, you know, the issue isn't a they didn't address this because we weren't living in 1960. And I want to explain this very quickly. Law and order was great for us in the beginning, in 2015. You know, one of the things Roger and I did do, by the way, is we, we didn't give Donald a lot of the stuff we wanted him to use until, until when he was about to announce, because we didn't want to make it stale. Mm. And. Roger and I said to Roger two weeks in. I said, "Can you give him a phone call about the silent majority?" And he did, mm. and it worked. And and we were dealing with issues as a silent majority, the Republican and independent voters against the um, two party establishment that you know wanted these terrible trade deals, wanted to import um, undereducated, low skilled people that we weren't having wage growth. People were desperate uh, for a change, and it worked then. But in 1968, Nixon was running, and he talked about law and order because after LBJ had passed um, the Great Society legislation, had passed, had passed bills that had to be passed on race, Americans with three stations and four major newspapers turned on their TVs in liberal – California, they saw lots being burned down by African-Americans and the liberal California, which had gone to LBJ. That's not what happened here. That is not what happened here. And the way he should have done it, he would have been better served two ways. The first thing is he, he, he doesn't like the fact that people knew that he went into this bunker. Right. That's Donald.
0: Why not- is he so upset about that?
2: I, I, it's, a, it's a separate... Uh, he, he thinks it makes him look weak. But okay. here's the deal. He should not have gone to that church with a Bible. Nice call, Hope Hicks. He should have gone out with Melania, with Baron, at around 8.30 at night, and thanked the police for securing that area. And that would have made him look... Um, you know what I mean? It would have made him look in a different light. That How do you
0: get look. to the point where... I, I agree that that would have been a much more effective visual than... Holding a Bible upside down outside of a church where no one him asked him to go. I
2: was having a brain freeze. I was having a Joe Biden brain freeze. It would have made him look sympathetic.
0: Charming. I I think that it just I just don't understand how you get to a place where that is the move that you choose. And and reportedly, it was something that Hope Hicks had uh, waved to him. It was something that Ivanka Trump had suggested might be a good move for him. Is it just that? His instincts are off and the people around him have poor instincts as well
2: both yeah I'd, yeah. I'd agree with that yeah. I mean I mean I don't think you're dealing with anybody that is uh, really good at this mm. uh, People can say whatever they want about Roger Stone and I don't really have a relationship with Roger anymore I Roger hates me I don't know why but it is what it is Roger's a genius Roger Roger is one of the smartest men I've ever met and from a marketing, of view at least before the smaller thing happened from a campaign point of view and um and the right call would have been from the very beginning to say i am going to address these issues what happened with george floyd should not have happened i agree you know i want the first amendment i agree with the first amendment you are allowed to protest however you looters who are ruining this moment who are taking advantage of this moment i will deal with Very harshly with extreme prejudice. And that would have been the way to do it. It's called nuance. Donald doesn't do nuance. It's, you know, he can't do nuance. Everything is slogans, themes, and it's not going to work anymore. He has to realize this is is two analogies. This is season six of Apprentice. Ratings are down. People aren't as interested anymore. And it's what can you do for me? What are you going to deliver me? Why should I still watch this? Why should I still give my time watching this? And or I'll give another analogy. You know, in 2016, it was exciting. It was sexy. It was different. Let's send this disruptive force. He's saying what we like. He's against Hillary Clinton. He's the private businessman. You know, D.C. really needs to be shaken up. It needs to be taken to the boardroom. That's fine. It's like it's like a relationship. You know, you start this great relationship. It's exciting those first couple of years. Mm -hmm. But after that it's a commitment. And do you want to stay in there for that? Right. What have you done for me? What can you do? Mm. And here's his problem. Here's his problem. He is not, he doesn't have a point of view where he can say, here is how I will govern and get things done mm. for you going forward. Here's how I can build a consensus even with Nancy if she's still a speaker. Here's what I will get done. He doesn't, he, you know what I mean? That's- You're totally right. To be able to adapt to and really talk about how he's going to lead And what can he do? And that's frankly, if he's losing, if he's losing to Joe Biden on that, that's pretty uh, pathetic. I mean, now I'm somebody who has hated Joe Biden since the Bork days. I was young then, but I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a policy guy when it comes to federalism. So you're not talking to somebody that likes Joe Biden or thinks Joe Biden's a moderate and he's not in any of those moderate but so-called positions he had before. He doesn't have them anymore. Case in point, the Hyde Amendment. But Joe can talk about governing. Donald still can't. And mm-hmm. Donald's got to get with it. He's got to get with it on
0: that. As the head of the government, it's a pretty stunning thing. You brought up Roger Stone a few times, and I just, I, I have to ask you, do you think that Trump is going to pardon him?
2: I don't know why he hasn't already. You know, it's very interesting. I was upset with Roger because, first of all, let me, let me tell you what I believe. I believe, and I've said this publicly, I believe Michael Cohen, I believe Donald Rogers spoke about WikiLeaks. But but here's the deal. It doesn't matter because there was no criminal conspiracy. What is the worst thing that will happen had Donald pardoned Roger? In fact, Donald is stupid for not pardoning Roger because if I'm Joe Biden, he has not pardoned Roger yet. I don't say on the debate stage you lied and your guy was convicted of lying for you. What's the response to that?
0: What is the response to that? So why don't you think he has? Why? Why hasn't he done it? Uh,
2: my understanding, Mark Meadows is right now doesn't want it done. Mm. Mark Meadows doesn't like uh, Mark Meadows is a bossy guy. He doesn't like uh, Roger. You know, one of the reasons Stepin was promoted was because um, earlier in that week, Meadows had arranged for Lewandowski and Bossy to go talk to Donald to tell him he's losing. Bossy then up, then that Sunday is going to golf with Donald, and unbeknownst to Meadows. Jared beat him. Jared's a very smart night fighter and, and said, let's promote Bill. Mm. By the way, Bill was better than Bill smarter than Bossy. Mm. Uh, and so they don't they don't like it. You know, I'm never really going to say why Bossy doesn't like Roger. But if Dave Dave knows, I know the real reason why he doesn't like. What's Roger. the real reason? I, I, I'm not I've said it to you privately. I'm not going to say it. Publicly. Come on. It's not nice for David's family. I'll put it to you. OK, way. OK. Well, let, well. Let me say this. Let me say this. David's wife worked for Roger as his secretary in the Black Manafort Stone days, and I won't go into it after that. Okay. Right.
0: Okay. Sam, I have a couple more quick questions for you. I really like all this, all the gossip. Um, <laughs> talk to me about Mary Trump's book. What yes. are What do we know? What do what are we excited to read? What do you think the president's reaction is going to be as we prepare for this book to be published? Is there going to be a lawsuit? What's your read?
2: I think as opposed to the Bolton book, this book really hits home. Mm -hmm. Look, in the 26th, were you ever, did you ever see Donald's office on the 26th floor? I've never been in the office, no. Okay. On the 26th floor, you had pictures all over the office. The largest picture was for Fred Trump. President held uh, his father in great reverence, talked about his father frequently to me we we'll talk about how proud his father would even be. And he'd say the word proud. Mm. Uh, so if she, if, the, if it's, if it's the public is true, if it's true, it's publicly reported that it, that he, that she claims Mary Trump claims that he was saying bad things about his father. He's not going to like that. Mm. Remember he sued Bill Barr right. for insulting his father. Right. Um, it's going to hit home too, because uh, it really goes into something Donald hates, which is that he wasn't self-made and it and it lifts the veneer of uh, uh the trump uh the trump um you know the, this this way this brand that he's built do so i think he'll sue her uh, first of all i don't know if they have an nda yeah um i think if he was sitting in trump tower he would sue her
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy thing to think about suing one's own niece and having your niece sign an NDA. It's a wild notion. Talking about another book and about NDAs, there is a book about a new book about Melania Trump. uh, And I think that the juiciest revelation from the book seems to be that uh, the First Lady delayed her move to Washington so that she could renegotiate her prenuptial agreement. Does that ring true to you?
2: Look, that's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. I don't know that part. We've always heard these rumors. I always thought it wasn't a surprise to me that you wanted to keep Baron in school. Um, I don't want to get... You know, something... I know Donald doesn't appreciate it, but there are two things. First of all, I could say Donald's an asshole and theoretically still be friendly with him. Right. Two years from now. I never talk about his business. I never talk about his kids. I never really talk about his private life. But what I would say... Is schooling a baron and, and, uh, and parenting a baron was, an, was something that Donald frequently called his wife about. Mm. Anything I saw, she wore the pants. That's what I would say. Mm. Dinner's ready, he would leave the office, go up to the penthouse.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, some things that don't seem true to me. I had heard that she wanted Chris Christie as VP, right? Not Mike Pence. Now it says that she wanted Pence. I don't now. I don't know. I've never spoken to her about it, but general consensus, you're reporting. I think you heard the opposite, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's obviously cooperated with this book, and um, look, uh, I I, w- I can understand, but when but when I hear that she was concerned that if Donald isn't around, how Barron would be treated. That would make sense to me, but I don't want to go into it anymore.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Sam, I have one last question for you. If you were a betting man and you had to bet on what happens on November 3rd, 2020, where are you putting your money and where are you putting your vote?
2: I'm voting for the president. Okay. But it doesn't mean I won't enjoy watching Donald lose if he loses. Okay. Do you think he's going to lose? Well, I'll put it to you. If it was today, he would lose. Okay. I buy stakeholders on this you have to look at it today that he would lose, but it doesn't mean that he still can't win. Right. Biden is a weak candidate and we can talk all now. Everything has been focused on Donald, but he's not going to play by the rules anymore Mm. that are set out by COVID. He's going to be doing the rallies. Uh, He's going to talk about opening up, but I don't think that's a popular thing. If Biden wants to stay closed, whether we should or we shouldn't is not the issue, right? What do Americans want? And, um, do they want to, you know, have the economy, you know what I mean, not be able to work? I, I, I don't know. I, I side on us not wanting, uh, not Americans not wanting to be controlled by government mm. in general. So that's, um, that's me. Donald, once again, has to get to 49% to be able to get over 270. He's nowhere near that now. He's lost a lot of time on the advantages that he had as an incumbent president. As I've always said, though, and i said to you, and I mean it, I've worked for him and I've believed in him when nobody else believed in him. And I've fought against him and I've been his adversary as well. Never underestimate Donald Trump. And I'm not talking about Russia, China. I'm going to be very clear. Never underestimate that Donald Trump can have one of the greatest comebacks ever. And he could, but if he wins, this will be more of a miracle than the last one in 2016. Mm. I think it's more likely that Biden wins it doesn't mean i want that to happen and i don't think biden will be a very good president either
0: well that's a very hopeful note for us to end on (laughs) i really appreciate your your always sunny disposition um i didn't give any
2: hey emily did i give any of the political answers i don't think so no
0: i think that you are very true to who you are you're very true to why i call you why so many people call you
2: we got close okay let's can i tell please. please So I decided. So the audience knows I've been public about this. I've uh, I celebrated two years of sobriety in April.
0: Amazing, uh, Sam.
2: Been out of the. I've been in and out of those rooms forever, and I finally decided it was time to take care of it. Um, you have to come to that decision. But in any event, I'm in rehab in Antigua at Eric Clapton's place, and um, I had just met Emily about her book and um she was working on and uh but but she's very smart and she was totally plugged in and knew everything and um from she's from philadelphia jewish and no i wasn't trying to pick her up we were just friends but we had to, we was she was funny to talk to so i'm literally there were three people i'm calling as i, I stole my cell phone while i was in rehab <laughs> and i was calling emily from rehab what did I call you, like four or five times a week?
0: Yeah, and, and you would always call me. You would like be an, an art class looking at the ocean, and you would call me from your stolen cell phone.
2: Oh, I would cut the art class. Yeah, we had art class at rehab. I didn't go to that.
0: Yeah.
2: I missed mean, that one. But um, the rehab changed my life, and uh, Emily's really been a very – this is a professional relationship and everything as well. as We did this interview, but I would tell your audience – Emily is very sweet and a very good friend and very supportive.
0: Sam, I'll put your check in the mail after we end <laughs> this episode. No, I think that that um, I've known you for for years now and you are always someone that I go to when I need a temperature check about anything that's happening in the White House or in, th- in the political world. And I'm so grateful that uh, our audience gets to hear what I get to hear on a daily basis from you. So thank you for publicly having this conversation with me. I'm sure that I will talk to you privately about all this and and I'll bring all of your good know-how to our audience going forward. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sam.
2: Congratulations on the podcast.
0: Thank you to my guest, Sam Nunberg, and of course, Joe Hagan, my co-host. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thank you to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors. Please support them the way you support this podcast. We'll see you next week.